0: Welcome, everybody, to the Seattle Sports Union Podcast. My name is Abraham DeWeese, and back with me once again is the man of the hour, the man with the power, the man who's wearing the Boston Red Sox hat because he <laughs> doesn't know any better, but he's still my friend. He's still a great guy. He's Brian, <laughs> the soul man, Solak. And soul man, we got a special
1: guest this week, don't we?
2: We do. Uh, his name is Tom Wassel. Tom Wassell, thank you for joining us.
1: Yeah, you got it. Anytime. Let's go. How you doing, man? I'm doing fine. You know, I mean, I was so excited to do this with you guys that I preempted my own, you know, normal Twitch show for this. Whoa. So I'm going to use this as my show. So, you know, I'm trusting that this is going to be, you know, some great thing because if it's not up to snuff, <laughs> we're never going to speak again.
0: Oh my God. All of a sudden, <laughs> this is a lot of pressure, Tom. I had a list of accusations, but I think maybe I need to set it aside and be a little more civil.
1: What accusations are those?
0: Uh, well, you're from Springberry. You're from Springbury, Connecticut, right? Simsbury. 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 Okay. See, there, there, right there goes my credibility. I can't even get the name of the town right. <laughs> However, Sorry. I want to know because I see in your background a WWE poster or or flag or something like that, and I want to know what drove you to ESPN rather than to to working for Vince McMahon.
1: You know, that's a, actually a great question, given that. Being raised in Connecticut, both of those places are right in my backyard, right? ESPN. So Simsbury is about 35 minutes from Bristol, which is where ESPN is, and then it's about maybe an hour or so from Stanford, which is where the WWF, which is what <laughs> I will always call it, okay? Let's get this. Uh, WWF, the World Wrestling Federation, was uh, was based. In fact, when you go down I-95 through Stamford towards New York City. There's a little clearing between a couple of, like, buildings where you pass through and for about two seconds, you used to be able to see the big WWF logo at Titan Towers at the time. And every time we drove by, it's like, oh, there's Vince McMahon over there. Um, But what drove me to work at ESPN? I mean, look, I haven't watched pro wrestling really as a fan since the days of saturday night's main event like back in the 80s you know like i was what probably six years old in for wrestlemania one so i think after wrestlemania four i bailed out but my father took my brother and i to a saturday night main event once <laughs> at the Hartford civic center mr wonderful paul orndorff against hulk hogan <laughs> in a steel cage oh and my god i remember jealous magical. i remember
2: that
1: yeah it was unbelievable in, in another match it was um George the animal steel against uh, macho man, savage. But in the, during the match, Ricky, the dragon steamboat made his triumphant return after, you know, macho man <laughs> crushed his neck with the bell. And it was just, it was pandemonium. It was nuts. It was one of the great experiences of my life. And so, you know, ever since then, I look at that flag and I think, all right, you know, it just reminds me of good times, but working for ESPN. I mean, I, I've always been a general sport fan, sports fan. So, as soon as – I went to this thing called Connecticut School of Broadcasting. It's like a three- or four-month seminar in broadcasting. I could have gotten a job anywhere. But one of my instructors there was a program director at ESPN Radio. And so I just kind of pestered him. Like, hey, can you get me an interview? Can you get me an interview? Can you get me an interview? You know, and so over a couple of months I did that, and they gave me an interview finally. And I just got a job in April of and and they started me at the most basic level, cutting highlights in the tape room at uh, ESPN. And I went forward from there.
0: You, you didn't even have to suplex anybody to get, the, to get that job, right?
1: <laughs> I tried. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I was lucky I didn't get suplexed. Way there, yeah.
2: <laughs> so you, you went to Indiana University. How did you choose that?
1: Um,
0: so like, do you mean over Wazoo and the uh, broadcasting school there? Exactly. Uh, okay, so <laughs> I knew there was something underlying there.
1: <laughs> Don't get me started on the Wazoo. <laughs> oh my! Oh, no, fight! Like, fight! I, I, have, I have a lot of friends from Wazoo, but like, <laughs> it's almost like a pipeline into the Seattle media for those kids who go to the communicate, and they're fine. Like, I've, again, they're perfectly competent, but. Um, I went to perfectly comp- competent,
2: competent.
0: Yeah, well- <laughs> wow. That is damning with faint <laughs> phrase. If I ever heard it and I'm so happy cause I'm, uh, I, I did go to Eastern, but I also got my graduate degree at UW. So I'm happy whenever Wazoo where, gets her come where, up. And,
1: that's where my mentor, Colin Cowherd went to uh, Eastern. Eastern,
0: Washington. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So, uh, a
0: lot
1: of, uh, some indirect connection, to Ta- that, but
0: Todd McFarlane too. I got to say Todd McFarlane as well. The comic book. That? the comic book artist uh, he owned uh, he owned uh, 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 like the most, the honest Wagner card, baseball oh, card. Oh, that guy. Yep. Yep. Um,
1: that thing's worth like a hundred thousand dollars. Yeah. Man.
0: I believe he was part owner of the Phoenix, Phoenix coyotes at some point. But anyway, okay. the point is we got two famous people. Hopefully I can make it three.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Just question, wow. Listen uh, to that laugh. Oh my gosh. So the, the reason I went to Indiana was because a, I wanted to get out of Connecticut uh, just to see, you know, something else. And my mom, dad, and I, we packed up the car one summer for about a week or so, two weeks. And we went to a couple of different spots that we thought might be good for communications. We went to, uh, Ohio university, Miami of Ohio, Kentucky, and we stopped by Indiana just like on a lark. And I saw Bloomington. I saw the campus. I saw everything. I said, I'm going here. This is where I'm going. And I started off in broadcast communications, dropped the major. My first week I was there. And then ironically, what, nine years later, I ended up in communications. So just a kind of a weird circular thing. <laughs>
0: you would have been there during the the Bobby Knight days. Come on, give us the, give us the straight deal. That guy had a screw loose, didn't he? You
1: know, he I was never <laughs> a fan. He drove me nuts even before <laughs> I went to Indiana. Now I rooted for India. As you can see, I got the poster back yeah. there. I became a big fan of theirs, but... The day Knight got fired and he had that famous speech out in that little quad area there where like ESPN showed up and everything, I was standing right behind him because I was just coming out of my um, my philosophy class. It was a class in Kierkegaard and I still have all the books actually on my shelf over there. But uh, I left there, I stood right behind him. He was making all kinds of excuses as to why, you know, he's right, the administration's wrong. I just shook my head and I walked home. I was just never a fan. I don't look. I think that there's something to disciplining young men and coaching them up, right? And, and not letting them run the narrative. But Bobby and I just took it over. I mean, he was his ego run amok, as Bill Walton once said. He was too much for me.
0: I, back <laughs> back, uh, Solak, back to Mrs. Tanell's philosophy class in high school. We studied Kierkegaard. And, uh, his, his damning of, I believe he was the one that damned religion, right? Um, Um, he
1: wrote under, he wrote under pseudonyms in order to like free himself of any, like what, uh, hypocrisy. Like sometimes he wrote as himself. Sometimes he wrote as somebody else who was like anti-religion. Sometimes he wrote as somebody who was pro-religion. That was like one of his things. He had all these pseudonyms.
2: Ah, okay.
1: Johannes Climacus. (laughs)
2: <laughs> I failed. I failed that class, so there's a reason why.
0: <laughs> it was Mrs. Tennell. I mean, it was yeah, a Catholic yeah, school she wasn't was hardcore. <laughs> but no, I just find that fascinating that you have uh, that you have that philosophical view and apply it to sports. Not a lot of people do that because sports is a very, in my my opinion, it draws out the emotion and passion in people with, and what gets subjugated is critical thought.
1: That's a shame. And you know what? And this is, this is not me being arrogant, but you know, when I was a producer, I often thought, yeah, I never thought about really being on the air because I always, I thought kind of like you're saying, well, what room is there for me? Like, I'm not a reporter. I'm not a writer. I'm certainly not an ex-athlete. And then, You know, the guys at 710, my ex-boss, Brian Long, along with Mike Salk, kind of took a chance on me because they thought I had something different to offer. And I think I did. Now, not everybody bought that. Not everybody in the audience, especially at first, took a long time to convince people. And even some of my co-hosts, you know, like getting put with Bob and Garage. I'm sure at at first they were like, what's going on? Why are we getting this guy? But over time, I think, you know, just showing people that at critical thought, And asking good questions and, you know, putting things in context and looking at the specifics of situations rather than the same old "oh, defense wins championships or some crap like that. I mean, I hope that that's entertaining. And that's what my show now is about.
2: Yeah, um, that's fascinating. You mentioned you mentioned Cal and Cal earlier. Tell me. Tell us a little bit about working with him. Why is he your mentor?
1: Well, because he told me he was. Okay. Well, maybe, maybe, I think you meant how. <laughs> how did he become? That sounds like uh, him. Why?
0: Explain to us why he's why? your <laughs> he, uh So,
1: well, to answer your first question, what was it like? It, the experience of working under him is the way I think every show unit in the country should run itself. Host comes in, host has ideas. Host sits down and is ready to go the second he gets there. And it's your job as the producers or even board op to follow his lead and augment with your with your idea. So he comes in, you know, and he's talking about Kobe Bryant did this last night. And he said this after the game. OK, what kind of topic can we get out of that? And you just sort of go and he's writing down his thoughts. He's writing down your thoughts and he's making notes and he's just go, go, go. You follow his lead. You don't complain about the fact that on occasion he can be demanding. It's your job to live up to what expectation he has. And you know what happens if you do that? You get better. Okay. Rather than like, I, I feel like over the past five or six years, These companies, they get so obsessed with like millennial thinking and what can we do to please the millennials to not make them too uncomfortable that we don't demand anything of them anymore. We don't challenge them. When I was 28 and working with Colin, I sat there and I kept my mouth shut when I needed to keep it shut. And I opened it when I thought I should. And he challenged me to do that. And that's how like if I had a show crew right? Like people working underneath me, that's how I would run it. And that's how that's the biggest thing I learned from him in addition to just, you know, how he thinks and how he generates topics and things like that. Well, I believe
0: that loops back to what you were saying. And that uh, do you have something to offer? You know, it, it it seems like maybe in the radio business that you were in, you had something to offer, but that's not what drives ratings. That's not what advertise. I'm sounding like, like McMahon right now. You need to sell tickets, baby, you know, um, but no, and that's one of my, uh, that's one of the reasons why I used to listen to you is because there was a sense of thought put into what's going on. And it wasn't just the standard play, you know, defense wins championships and, Mm -hmm you know, you have to set, you have to set the lineup properly. No, it's, it's critical thinking and a breakdown of what's happening. And uh, no, I, I appreciate, I appreciate what you used to do and what you're doing now on Twitch.
1: Yeah. I'm I'm glad to hear you say that. I mean, you know, as you were talking there, I was thinking back to like an example of that when (laughs) a couple of years ago, remember when Russell Wilson set that deadline, For the Seahawks to like get him a deal.
0: I'm going to the Giants if you don't, uh, yeah.
1: Right. Well, I mean, I thought, look, I ended up being wrong then. I'm not so sure. Like, I mean, we might be heading back towards that situation now, but different conversation. But I looked at all the evidence and I tried to get inside his thinking based on what we know about him, you know, like... Kind of play amateur, amateur psychologist, which which is a dangerous game sometimes. But like, okay, you know he's got this the superstar wife, are, are, are the Seahawks really the place that's gonna uh, or that's gonna allow his skills to flourish the best. You know he's setting this deadline now. It, does that is he doing that because he really doesn't want to be here? You know I was trying to put it all together and I thought it made for good radio, even if I was wrong. I mean, who, who cares if you're wrong or right? That's one thing Cowherd used to say. Like there's not a lot of money in being right. There is a lot of money in being interesting <laughs> and compelling though, which is what I've always, you know, tried to do. Even if I have to offer myself up as, you know, the fall guy and let my host be right. All I care about is that the show is interesting and that we keep the listeners and I, you know, and I'm not being fake about it. I'm being honest, but that's what I try to go for.
0: How do you, how do you prevent from falling into the ridiculous, uh, category? You know, they're, There's countless people on our show. We are, we're always complaining about the ridiculous people in sports media who say something because they know it's going to garner a reaction. And Mm. then they walk away after, uh, you know, stirring the bees hive.
1: What do I think of that? Yeah. Um,
0: Because it does get ratings. I mean, that's
1: well, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't, I mean, it depends who you are. If you're, if you already have a platform, like you're skip Bayless. Right. Because that's uh, that's probably who you're that's who he's like the the best example of what you're talking about. Yes. (laughs) He he, he knows that that's what his brand is, whether he intended for that or not. That's what it is. Right. That's what people expect from him. So in order for him to make a living, that's what he's going to keep doing. So why? I mean, why listen to anything in my mind? Like, why listen to anything he says Right. We we know that he's only saying it for this purpose. Now, with other people, like I saw something from Mike Wilbon the other day, it was a tweet saying or he said it on Greenberg's show saying Aaron Rodgers is done with the Packers. This is going to be the story of the offseason. And that story went away as soon as it began. Like, did Wilbon's what Wilbon's not really known for that kind of hyperbole. Yeah. But Mm -hmm. so did he say that in the moment because he thought it would serve him? in some way or did he really believe it i mean what was going on there i don't i don't really know i mean so what do i think of people who do that yeah i i mean i forgive them but <laughs> but i don't i don't i don't have a whole lot of respect for that for that kind of
0: action. Yeah. I don't think Kierkegaard, that's what you're doing. I don't think Kierkegaard would have forgiven people, but, uh, <laughs> I, I, sorry, sorry. So I know I'm dominating. Let me just get one last question in here. Uh, based on this is just that it goes back to, it goes back to sports, elicits some sort of, uh, reaction out of people, you know, from the heart. And, and I wonder if they're playing, you know, playing us like marionettes, you know, um, Plus just the fans you mean yeah yeah and and you know just just they know what the buttons are and triggers and you hit these buttons and triggers because you know people are going to listen just if nothing else to prove their point that you're wrong you know like uh you know just, just waiting waiting to see you fall that kind of thing
1: yeah i mean think of it this way all of sports including sports media is a drama <clears throat> Like, collectively, it's all, it's like reading, you know, if you're a fan and you're watching it all, you are like you're watching the sports part of it, the games, then you're watching, you know, what happens after, and then you're watching what's happening on social media, and then all the NFL shows, ESPN, you're watching all this drama unfold, who said what, who did what, and, like, we're all, we're all part of it. Mm -hmm. So, it's almost like if you're watching a movie or you're reading a book, like, it, can you extract some meaning from all of that? I think that's what I try to do. I try to look at it all and like, okay, well, this is interesting here. And why did that, how does this connect to that? And like, that's how I try, like if you had a book club, like a Shakespeare book club, sure. like you're, you're reading your book, your plays, and then you dissect it and you discuss it with your friends. That's what I do. I have, you know, my co-host or whoever, and we look at what's going on and we just dissect it critically and in a fun way. I mean, I think that's what it's all about. It's not about dropping like the hammer on whatever opinion I have. I mean, who, who cares?
0: Sure, honestly. there's a story to be there's a story to be said. I mean, when you go to a football game, there it's it's not just the game. The game is the biggest part of it, but there is the tailgate party. Perhaps there is that, like you said, the interaction with your friends, uh, saying who's going to win. Then there's the commiserating at the end of the game after. You know, Wazoo gets blown out by UW by seventy points. So, oh. I mean, there's all there's all these sorts of things, and it's you know, um, yeah, like it, there's a, PG, whole told, uh, a whole story that's
2: told, a whole narrative. That's good to know. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, moving on, I, we. Abraham and I grew up in the 90s. Obviously, we had 950 KJR. We were spoiled with that. And then pretty much KJR, in my opinion, started going downhill when 710 ESPN started up. Um, why? Why? What brought you out here to Seattle? I mean, you had a great gig. It sounds like you had a great big gig back in Connecticut. I mean, just the change of scenery, or how did they
1: convince you to come out here? Um, well... I think at ESPN, I had I had taken it as far as I was gonna take it. Um, So I was a producer of (laughs) of Colin's show, but in title, like in corporate rank, I was still a production assistant. So you could be a production assistant, an associate producer, or a producer. Producer is gonna make about seventy. Associate producer is gonna make about forty to fifty. And then at my level, we're gonna make, we're gonna top out at like thirty five, right? Mm-hmm. And you could be like producer one, producer two. There's like sub rankings in there, but at the time, um, at the time, it was right after like the banking crisis in two thousand eight and nine, and the economy was bad. There were hiring freezes, promotion freezes. I just couldn't get any further than I was going than I had already gotten there. And then Mike Saw called me. Uh, like early, very early in 2011, saying that they might have a spot open to produce their show because they were adding Bob and Graz in the middle of the day, and their producer mm. Colin Paisley was going to produce that show. So it opened up this spot on my and I had I had produced for Mike a bunch of times when he had filled in on my shows at ESPN like overnight. I used to produce Bob Valvano's show okay. on weekend overnights, and so Mike Salk would fill in. That's how we met. We met in like 2007 or eight. Um, and we became friends for, you know, a number of reasons. And then, you know, we didn't, he came out here in what, 2009? I think that's when the station opened up here. So he was here about two years before I got here, but he called me and said, Hey, you want to come out here? And after some tight negotiations, (laughs) I finally, (laughs) I finally just not because of him, but he actually helped. But, uh, I decided, I said, okay, I'll go to Seattle's site unseen. What a crazy thing to do, but uh, yeah, I, I knew Jessamine McIntyre already. She worked at ESPN with me for a couple of years, so coming out here and knowing Brock a little, knowing Jessamine, knowing Mike, helped. And it was, you know, it's an adventure. I'm an adventurous person.
0: <laughs> Let's talk about 710 for a second, um, because I know I know this is going to be hard for you to like respond to, and I don't want to put you any, under any undue pressure. However. I saw an article that said that you caused an incident at 710 ESPN when you let your two dogs Penelope and George unsupervised during a game. How, I how do you caused
1: res- an incident?
0: <laughs> I went <laughs> I went to your profile page on 710, and they had this article that it linked out to talking about uh, about your dogs. <laughs>
1: Oh, no, did? Yeah. And then it talked that's to really him. funny. Oh, little George. We had to put little George down this summer. He was oh like, no. Great. Oh, yeah. sorry to hear that. Love little George. Um
0: I was gonna I, ask I, about I was gonna ask hard about hard Tom. I was gonna ask about your involvement with the with <laughs> Seattle Humane Society.
1: Yeah.
0: Sorry, I I didn't realize I was going into some uh into no, that I just don't,
1: I just something. don't remember that incident actually, but, um, <laughs> I yeah, think it was a yeah, joke. I think it was a joke yeah, on, on in it probably was. Yeah. Seattle <laughs> Humane Society is where I met my dog Penelope, oh. uh, in what August of 2014, <clears throat> I think. And man, we saw this dog on the internet the night before and we said, you know what? We want that dog. What type and of we dog? Went there, it, what's that? What type of dog? Uh, she's a Taiwanese, a Formosan mountain dog. I can I can try to pull up a picture at some point here if you want, but um, or you can, like you said, you can go to my Twitter page. it's probably a picture of her there. But when we got there, all the dogs were gone except for her. She was the only one left, and they had her in like this cage outside. She was all alone. She was weak from all the surgeries they had just done on her. That she was like doped up, painkillers, the whole thing, and she was just laying there. And my feet, my girlfriend Constance picked her up, and she barely had enough strength to like lick her. You could see her tongue going like, mm. Mm. And, I, <laughs> and I looked at her and I was just like, uh, like we're taking her home now, you know. And I I just I remember I took her home and I laid down on the floor with her and I said, I'm never gonna let anything happen to you. And I'm always gonna love you and take care of you. And I want that experience for other people because that experience is there to be had because there are other dogs that need homes. And I think it's, I I just have this thought sometimes about dogs, you know, just wandering around or being abandoned or, you know, mistreated by their whatever it is. It just, it freaks me out. And I, I just know that that situation can be helped. And so that's why Seattle Humane is important to me.
0: And you donate some money to that, right? I saw on your Twitch.
1: Right. Uh, so for every every subscription I get, I you can subscribe in different ways, like as much as you want. But for every what I call it, or what's called a tier one subscription, it's like four ninety nine. Some of the money goes to me, some of it goes to Twitch, but I donate a dollar of it awesome. to Seattle Humane. So we're <clears throat> my goal is two thousand dollars we're up to a thousand seventy nice that's
2: outstanding right on um your time at seven ten espn uh, i do want to ask you do you have like a favorite mariners moment a favorite seahawk moment from working there um or either or
1: no that's a good question do i have a favorite seahawk just you mean like that's tied in with my work somehow correct um well obviously it's not that, gonna be a mirror not, not really no <laughs> well I mean, I, there's a couple of there's a couple of moments where like i was doing a, a pre-game show one day and you know like lupinella came in it was a day that they like honored him they did one of those like lupinella day or whatever but i'll, I'll tell you what it's the smaller things that if i say it out loud you you'd think like really that was a big deal like when i got to interview mark langston Right. Like when Mark Blankston he, he does radio for the or for the Angels. Now. Of course. Because he yeah. I mean, he pitched for the Mariners, but also the Angels. And like having a moment where I got to interview a guy who. When I was a kid, like collecting baseball cards and oh. watching games like he was right in that era that that was his like him and mm-hmm. I don't know like Chuck Finley or whoever, you know, somebody or when I saw Jack Morris in the bathroom. You know, and I, I said to him, like, you know, we're both standing there at the, the urinal. I was like, so game seven, 91, huh? <laughs> and he, he's just awesome. like, And he's just like, yep, pretty good. And then he walks out, <laughs> you know, I mean? Like, like little stuff like that yeah. is what really makes me think to myself. Like, you know, this is cool.
0: So you, <laughs> so even you mark out every once in a while for, for an athlete.
1: A little bit. I mean, there was one time where like, Bob, Bob Stelton and I were in the bathroom, same bathroom, actually, as John, the one with Jack Morris. And A-Rod walks in and Bob's like chatting him up about whatever. And I saw that A-Rod had like a piece of floss tied to the back of or like stuck to the back of his pants. So I just like got down on the floor and I was like, oh, excuse me. Let me grab that for you. right there. And he looks down. And he's like, what the hell is this guy doing? Uh, you know, just like stupid <laughs> incidents like that. I mean, I'll, I'll never forget that.
2: Oh, let me get that floss for you other <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Thank you yeah. for sharing that. <laughs> um, I, I want to play a quick little game. You, work, you obviously worked with several people at 710, but there's four people that uh, I'm I'm fans of besides yours. And mm-hmm. if you could describe them in one word, what would it be? Um, what, let's start what, with a Graz. With one word or two words, but let's we'll start with a Graz.
0: Or maybe a full sentence or maybe a thesis. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. I know, I got you. Yeah. <laughs> draws i want to say fun but i want to say good time like he's a good time charlie that's what he is he's a good time
2: outstanding um how about jim moore sincere sincere nice um john clayton
1: Non-stop
2: <laughs> That's true Very good And then last but not least Jasmine McIntyre Huge fan of hers
1: Um, I, I know what I want to say But what's one word that If you want to say uh, multiple I, how about this? How about this Like Shark Like she's shark. like a shark Like when As a producer in particular Like you know Breaking news She's all over it Okay, what guest do I get? Who do I call? Let me get him now. Like she's, she's a shark.
2: Nice. She's like that as a sideline reporter too for the Cougs. And I thought she yeah. did a great job. I mean,
1: she, There's nothing that Jessamine will ever let like slip through the cracks. You know, she's thorough. Whether she's producing and I know she does the sideline stuff. And now she's over at uh, Q13. I, I'm not sure the exact capacity, but uh, whatever it is, I'm sure she's, you know, that same way she attacks everything with that same, like intensity and sense of purpose.
2: Nice. Very nice. Um, we, we read, we, and I saw your um, YouTube page, but you're into music. You produce, I mean, you make your own music. Tell us a little bit about that.
1: Yeah. I mean, I've been a musician my whole life. You can see the guitars back there. Um, oh yeah. But Well, yeah. So like from junior high on past college, I was playing in bands like rock bands and stuff. And um, in like 2005 and six, after the band thing kind of ended or ended for a little bit, uh, I was able to write a bunch of my own stuff. And then I I got the career at ESPN, which. Really took up not just a lot of time, but like mental space because of the hours I was working. I was working like overnights, and you know, I, I, like I had, like I was talking about Jessman, like attacking it. I had to do that same thing, especially when I first started. You know, to to outwork my uh, my peers there, right? So I didn't have a whole lot of time for music, and then just very recently, really since I got laid off from Seven Ten, I just had this burst of like inspiration to write again and so i did and really through the month of like november and december i churned out 53 minutes worth of music eight songs 53 minutes and uh i said you know what, i've got an album here like it's instrumental and it's electronic it's not even this type of stuff that i'm a consumer of but it's what came out of me
0: is so, this uh, is this you know, so is this through the it. wall
1: through the walls, the name of the album. Yeah. And you can find it, you know, Spotify, Amazon, Bandcamp, YouTube, wherever. Um, and yeah, I mean, I was pretty satisfied with whatever. I mean, obviously, I was comfortable enough with what I wrote to release it to the public and to promote it as much as I have, shamelessly. Uh, but, you know, what I tried to do with the Twitch channel is like sports, 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 like 80%, and then sneak something in you know, musically like, Oh, you know what, just, I'm going to do this. If you want to listen, listen, if you don't, you don't. But I've sold a fair amount. I've I've got like, depending on the platform, I've gotten a lot of play. I mean, I've got like, you know, 500 plays on Bandcamp, about 700 on YouTube or whatever. And it's, that's cool. Like I'm not doing it to sell it necessarily. It's cool if I do, but just to get people listening and reacting is great.
2: Very cool. That's awesome. Congrats. That's awesome.
1: Thank you. Did you, Very
2: cool.
0: when you got here to Seattle in the mid, early 2000s? Um,
1: I got here in 2011.
0: Oh, okay. All right. Uh, So, halfway through the Mariners just being god awful. Got it. Um, yeah. Did you <laughs> ever you feel,
1: time out here?
0: Did you ever feel like a musically <laughs> you came here at the wrong time?
1: Did I say again? Did I feel like
0: musically you came here? Oh,
1: you, you came here at the like- wrong time. You mean like if I had come here in the early 90s? Like, yeah, yeah.
0: Like 15 years uh,
1: earlier, yeah. Nah. I mean, I, it's funny, I was listening to Nirvana on the radio the other day, and I was thinking to myself, like, man, these guys are really good. Like, people don't even appreciate them for the right reasons. Anyway, um, that, that was never really my style of music. I mean, I'm, I'm jazz trained, so... And I, I had played in rock bands, but like different kind, like you know, improvisational rock bands. I mean, I I sure. love Fish and the in the Dead and stuff like that. So, the the grunge thing is not really something I would have need. Like I regret not being here for.
0: You're more of a Fish I, guy, right?
1: Yeah, I would have if I could choose one scene, like a historic scene. You know, like London in the '60s or whatever. Like, I would say the late '70s, early '80s in uh, New York City, like Talking Greenwich. Heads, Greenwich Village, Blondie, Ramones, like the sort of like avant-garde, yeah, post-punk thing. Like that would be where I would fit in the best.
2: Nice, very nice. Um, obviously, you're doing music and Twitch, but what what? What's next for you? Are you looking around to get back into sports radio too, or and you're not sure yet? If you don't mind me asking,
1: um, I, I, I am, but it's you know it's tough out there, especially right now. Pandemic, yeah. I, I mean, I mean, in the media industry, there's been so many layoffs. It's not like they're looking to hire unless somebody just you know quit. Like I, uh, there's a guy I know. His name is Jim Costa Is a young kid is good kid who just got a job at uh, 97 one, the ticket in Detroit, which like carries all of their they're the flagship for like every sports team in Detroit. So that's a huge job that he just got there. I'm not sure what time of day it is, but still for him to get a job at that kind of station and that kind of market is huge. That's going to be pretty rare. If I if something opens up, you know, I'll see how far my resume takes me, but. I'm willing to move. It just, it's gotta be the right fit. That's all. I don't want to, I don't want to jump back into a situation I was just in.
2: Fair enough. Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh,
0: we want to get, I, we got some hall of fame questions to ask you, but I want to ask you a quick question just to, just to see where you level out. We're just going to level set here and we're going to find out from you, you know, a uh, uh, Indiana, uh, at Bloomington, uh, college man. Um, Which is the best university in all the Pacific Northwest? There is going to be one person mad from our team. Mm Two, there'll be two people mad from our team, regardless of what university you pick.
1: So wait, what's the question? Best,
0: best university, university? best university, yes.
1: Academically, (laughs) or 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 athletically?
0: No, I was just hoping you'd say U Dub, and then that anger both Matt Page and
1: I got it, Brian Solek. (laughs) <laughs> UW is a I, that area is cool, but I don't think I would have been happy at a city school. I just think the specialness of the university really gets drowned out in a in a major city. Like I don't know that I picked Indiana for that reason, but I kind of realized that along the way. Like Bloomington is you know it's a it's a city in terms of number of people, but it's I mean it's rural. You know it's it's out in the middle of Indiana, like Southern Indiana. So, uh, maybe, and I haven't been to Pullman, so maybe Pullman's more like that, but you know, I know a lot of kids who went to like SPU and university of Puget sound and they all had good experiences. So yeah. who knows?
0: Sounds like a political answer. You, uh, you might Sorry. have, no, Seattle no, city good. council, <laughs> Seattle city council will, uh, will, enjoy having you elected <laughs> next, uh, they can
1: deliberate
0: on <laughs> <laughs> but I did have a question. Okay. Let's get to hall of fame. Since, uh, since you got your way out of that question, um, uh, hall of, uh, hall of fame, uh, Matt page, who's, uh, normally in your seat during these shows, he and I've been arguing the entire week. He chooses to be wrong, but I just, t- I kind of take a look at the hall of fame as having become a hall of who's been nice to baseball writers. Am I, Am I out of my mind in thinking that, or, um, you know, we just want to get your feedback having been in that, in that sphere, in that world, in that influence.
1: Um, I think that there's something to that, but, but here's the, here's where it, here's where it comes into play. It only comes into play with the guys who are borderline like Jim Rice is a borderline Hall of Famer. He was a dominant hitter for 10 years, best probably best right-handed hitter in the American League from, like, 75 to 85. But then his career, like, went off a cliff. So he didn't have those, like, 500 home run numbers. He's a borderline guy. And he was also known as for being, like, a dick to the media. And so that, that was... Why, or that's why people think it took him so long to get in. Like, once he became a member of the media, all of a sudden he became a nice guy. And, you know, maybe he mended some fences there. Same thing with Kurt Schilling. Like, his numbers, if you look at them, are borderline in terms of being a Hall of Famer. Postseason numbers, phenomenal, which is kind of like a bonus, I think. But, you know, his regular season numbers are borderline and so these extracurriculars this stuff on social media or what you know political beliefs that stuff swings the pendulum backward i think a little bit for for writers because some writers don't want to like vote for him and have other people assume that that writer like agrees with what Schilling says right if he says you know x y and z about trump or something and then somebody votes for him You know, who's to say that somebody wouldn't assume that that voter thinks that Schilling's right? You know, there's all that stuff just gets in the way. But as far as being nice to the reporters, I think most people are willing to like put that aside. But again, you got to have the numbers to convince. Like, nobody's going to argue that Roger Clemens' numbers aren't Hall of Fame worthy. So, no matter how much of a jerk he may have been to people, and I'm not saying he was, I'm just saying hypothetically nobody's going to not vote him in because he wasn't a nice guy, but but he's not he voted,
0: but he's not voted in. That's like,
1: but, but but for different reasons, not because he's a nice guy, but because of the steroid thing.
0: But I think what? I see here's a, uh, sorry to interrupt you, Brian. I was just going to oh, say, you're good. but I, but I think, uh, yeah, I know you've heard this all week, Brian. You're, you're like, God, shut up, Abraham. Uh, but, <laughs> <laughs> but no, I, I just kind of, you know, with the bonds and Clemens thing, I think they're still holding them. I, I think if they were nicer people, because you know David Ortiz was on that Mitchell report, um, and he'll be well,
1: He was. He he'll was be first he
0: ballot. He'll be first ballot. Uh, <laughs> so I, I just think if you're nice to the me, to the writers, I I think you get a.
1: It helps. It doesn't hurt you, right? I mean, like like take Barry Bonds. Barry Bonds has two problems. He's got the B E D problem, and he's got the problem of people of mistreating people. But none of those people who he mistreated. are gonna argue with his numbers like you know what i mean like so if if the steroid if the steroid thing weren't attached to him he's in no problem same with clemens so i don't think it's a personal thing with bonds now if it were how about this for an example his bonds former teammate jeff kent yes jeff kent in He's got the best offensive numbers ever for a second baseman. Now, he wasn't the greatest defensive second baseman, but if we're putting DHs in now, then bad defense shouldn't really take away from a guy's candidacy, in my opinion. But Jeff Kent was known as kind of a jerk, so he only gets 40% of the vote. I think that that's a case where... People look at him and they're like, eh, Jeff Kent, eh, whatever. But I can't vote because, for a guy because who... Because he wasn't a superstar, you know? He's not like, like a household name.
0: I you can't gotta... vote for a guy who falls off his pickup truck. That's all there is to it. Um uh, sure. uh,
2: <laughs> <on>. <laughs> <laughs> He is one of the best... That, that was my question. He, I mean, Jeff Kent's known for being... I'm going to come out and say he's being an asshole to you guys in the media. and mm. I, he, he deserves to be in the Hall of Fame, in my opinion, with those numbers that he's produced over yes, the years. I mean, but,
1: but Randy was not always a pleasant guy to deal with. Randy and, Johnson. Uh, but again, his numbers are so convincing. What are you going to say that you can't? I mean, there, there's no case you could make to keep Randy Johnson out of the mm. Hall of Fame.
2: Absolutely. What about Schilling? You brought up Schilling. Um, he comes out asking the, the Hall of Fame not to be included on the ballot next year. Is is that a, him being a wuss? Or I mean, what do you think about that?
1: I think that. Kurt Schilling is a impetuous person and I think that with social media encourages that and it encourages impulsivity. And so I mean you'll notice that that Facebook message that he put out came out like only minutes after the Hall of Fame like voting was re- was revealed that like nobody was getting in. So it wasn't even like he waited 24 hours to yeah. you know to meditate on it or sleep on it before he gave his reaction it was like oh i didn't get in <laughs> you know so like you can you can read into that and you can say all right well this guy, how seriously should i take how sincere is he right mm-hmm. about what he says or is he just reacting in anger and it, like so you know how when, when, what does that say about his overall maturity and how seriously you should take his words? Is that, if he's just, if he's reacting, he reacts like Donald Trump, quite frankly. And I'm not yeah, saying any yeah. whether I like him, but it's like, Oh, you said something about me, you know, and, and I'm, I've been guilty of that on Twitter too, but uh, yeah. And I, if, it, if it were that serious of an issue about me, I, I would take a step back before I said something like that.
0: And, and, and I do want to ask about that. the, Persecution complex that a lot of athletes have, and I know the regular regular society has it as well. But a lot of athletes use that to get them over, you know, get to get their.
1: they uh, use a wrestling phrase.
0: Yes, exactly. <laughs> to get them, to get them, you know, uh, to get them in the limelight to also uh, motivate them. You know, Michael Jordan did it, and uh, a bunch of other athletes have as well. Um, and I wonder if this is a guy um, who just can't shut up because that's how he's been doing it. And he was coddled and allowed to do whatever because he could perform on the field. And then now that he's no longer in the game, um, it's now,
1: you know, well, I mean, it could be a couple of those different things working together. I mean, one, he's not a player anymore, so he's not really relevant as an athlete. So this is a, if he has that need to stay relevant publicly, it seems like he does, but we can't really say that for sure. But this would be one way of staying relevant, certainly. Um, But is uh, it is tough because it is tough because none of
0: us know him. None of us are friends with him. None of us have met him. Uh, At least Brian and I have never met him. And so, you know
1: know what, this is what I wanted to say as far as like, What motivates his behavior? I think because there's a good cross-section of people out there who are just really sick and tired of what what we'll call like liberal culture, cancel culture, that (laughs) type of thing, kind of guiding our culture and like dictating what's acceptable and what isn't. Occasionally, I fall into that group on – I don't always, but sometimes I do. I think he's just a person who feels like he can't help himself, but react to it every time he feels like he sees something wrong. In, in this case, the injustice, the injustice was done to him. <laughs> right. So he has to re- he has to lash out about it when really the best course of action, when you see something that, you may disapprove of disagree with is not always to lash out publicly. I mean, most times it's not, you know, but not, but, but, and he should consider that maybe a little more, or maybe he doesn't care. I don't know. Does A-Rod have a chance to make it in first ballot? You know, he's one of those guys who has so much (laughs) baggage and just crap following him around from his career, you almost feel like you don't want to go back and re-examine any of it. Like I saw an article the other day. I think it was in like the New York daily news or something about how this legal issue with his ex brother-in-law is going to like some real estate deal they had together and A-Rod screwed him over. Like that's going to keep him out of the hall of fame. Like really, really, you, like, you think that fans or voters are going to dig back into that crap and keep him out of the Hall of Fame over there? Like, he's got a lot of little stuff like that following him around. And, like, did he lie about using PEDs? Yeah, he did. But then he admitted it. Like, the, the difference between A-Rod and everybody else is that he said he's sorry. Now, he's had to say he's sorry, like, five times. Right. But, he has, <laughs> but, but he has said it. Like, he's one of those guys that's, you know— he can't help but be compared to Jeter and Jeter's like squeaky clean and A-Rod can't get out of his own way in terms of his public image. But in the years since he's retired and he's become a, I think a good analyst, maybe not a good uh, color analyst, but good studio analyst. I think he's, I think he's gotten some of that fanfare
0: back. So I feel like he's,
1: be a first ballot. I don't know, but he'll get in. I think
0: I do feel like he's rehabbed his image based off of that.
1: Yeah, I think so too.
2: Fair enough. Uh, moving on, Seattle Seahawks have a new offensive coordinator, Shane Waldron. What are your thoughts on that?
1: I think we're the Rams all of a sudden. I don't know much, <laughs> of, I mean, but we—they just—I just saw that the Seahawks—they uh, hired Rams assistant O line coach Andy Dickerson as their new run game coordinator. God, oh, wow. it's, it's isn't it so funny? Like,
0: yeah,
1: the the way the way that like a staff is hierarchically assembled. Now you've got like the GM, you've got the head coach, then you've got an offensive line coach who may also be like the assistant head coach, like Tom Cable was. Now we've got passing game coordinator, run game coordinator, the offensive coordinator himself. It's like, it seems like there's too many cooks in the kitchen for me (laughs) now. Now I'm not saying it can't work. And like, I know that this Seahawks aren't the only team that structure themselves this way, but it just seems like a lot of guys, like for, like, how hard is it to, to design plays and call them honestly? Like, is it that complex where you need a, a run game coordinator, a passing game coordinator? <laughs> like you've already you got a quarterbacks coach, a passing game coordinator and an offensive coordinator. I mean, that seems like just like a, a lot of guys.
0: I do wonder about that. And I don't care. Well, what you say his name is Andy Dickerson. I don't care if you have Eric Dickerson coaching. I I'm <laughs> not certain you can make a guy like Homer, Travis Homer, or a guy like Penny uh, you know, any better or stop to stop getting injured. I you know, I I don't know what they can provide to make that better. And this guy, this guy from the Rams, the, the uh oh God, what's it Waldron? Shane Wal- Waldron. Waldron, yeah. Um, I agree with you. This guy was a passing game coordinator. What makes us think that he's the next big thing, you know, when Pete Carroll's just going to meddle, won't he? Won't Pete Carroll just meddle?
1: He'll meddle if he thinks he has to. I mean, look, we're not in the interviews. Like with Pete, personality It's got to be like everything, you know, when he goes to the combine and he meets players, he meets DK Metcalf. He doesn't just see that DK Metcalf is ripped, you know, physically. He meets the man, the person, and he's blown away by him. I think the same goes for his coaches when he does these interviews. And if, you know, if the guys never called plays before at any level, maybe Pete thinks that that's offset by some other quality that he just needs on his team. I, now, is that the right thing to do? Well, I, I don't know. I guess we'll see 12 wins. But, it's
0: kind of hard to argue. Yeah.
1: <laughs> right. But, but I mean, what I'm saying is like, it's not like Pete Carroll is unaware of the fact that he's never called plays. And we all know, you know, it's like, Pete, did you know that? I mean, yeah, of course he does. But he hired him anyway, because he, I mean, hopefully not for political reasons. I, I don't think that that's, what's going on here. Um, but, you know, he he, he wants a, a, a simplified offense, in my mind. So it's not like he's going to be calling, you know, Peyton Manning's old Indianapolis Colts offensive playbook. You ever seen that thing? It's like this thick. <laughs>
0: no.
1: But Walt, Waldron
0: runs complex ideas, though. <clears throat> he does? Well, I Even mean... In their,
1: in their passing
0: game? Yeah, I mean, at least what I've read. Everything I've read, they're talking about weird fantastical unicorn ideas such as tight end screens and uh, bunch formations and things that nobody else is running in the NFL.
1: And you know, I'm What's so complex about a tight end screen? That's something that should be in like football 101.
0: Well, not the Seahawks for the last 10 I years. I know. No, no, you're but... right.
1: Like <laughs> the intermediate passing game was non-existent. Now, I don't know if that's because they didn't have the right personnel or they didn't have enough of those plays in the playbook or what, but that would have helped them. But again, screens have been around forever. So like, I don't know that that's, that that indicates complexity.
2: Russell Wilson came out in the media before they hired this dude saying he wanted to say in who they hired. You think he had us, they let him have a say in this hiring this Waldron guy.
1: I don't think or- it's that he gets a say. I think he gets input. Like he doesn't input, get a point. Okay. He doesn't get a, like the Seahawks have a, relatively unorthodox uh, setup where the GM, like Pete's one and Schneider's one A, you know, technically at the end of the day, Pete has the final stamp on everything. Um, So, you know, how does Russell factor into that? I'm not, if I'm Pete and I, I go to Russell and I say, hey, what do you think of candidates one through five? I'm not really sure what Russ is going to say that is going to, like, flip Pete's opinion. Like, say Pete is really hot on guy number two, but Russ says, hey, I really like guy number four. Like, does that – how much does that sway Pete? Because, look, I think Russell is a guy who who wants his skills showcased. Yeah, he said he wants to win games and he wants to do what's right for the team. That's fine. But he doesn't want to sit back there and just throw it, like, 18 times a game. You know he wants to be. He wants to do what they were doing for the first ten weeks of the year, which is make him into an MVP candidate, chucking it to Lockett and Metcalf and whoever else. So, if Pete likes a guy who's just going to say no, we're running it twenty-eight times a game, and Pete, and Russ says, well, I don't want that. I mean, how how much say did Russell really have? I mean, maybe he gave Russell his chance to speak, right, as opposed to not being part of it at all. Pete's gonna do what he wants to do. Well,
0: I mean, there's a core precept of what are you paying thirty-five million dollars for exactly, and is that you know is that eighteen pass attempts a game? Is that um, just showing up in the last couple drives of the fourth quarter, mm-hmm. or is that what we saw in the first five weeks? You know, the uh, era? well,
1: here's here's the thing about the 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 price. It's it's market price. Like, it, like when you go to buy a Mercedes, it's not about the utility, right? Well, you know, I paid all this money for the car. Therefore, I better drive it 300,000 miles, right? It's, you know, it's a, like, that's the, that's the cost of that car. That's the cost of that skill. What, no matter how much you're going to drive it. And it kind of works the same way for us. Like that's how much he costs because there's a there's a market for quarterbacks. There's only 32 of them. You know, in the world, and there's only really. 10 good ones, <laughs> right? Well, there's only probably 10 or 12 that are worth paying that kind of money for. So, and Russ is one of them. So, no matter how you use him, so I mean, do you really w- want to compromise your what you think is a winning game plan just because you paid somebody? Like, if Pete, honest to God, thinks the only way to win is to run the ball more and use the quarterback less. Then that's what he's going to do, regardless of how much the quarterback costs. And for that, I don't blame him. You, I don't think that you can. I don't think it's a good approach to say, "Well, this these five guys cost the most, so we're going to build the game plan around them." When there are other factors that determine that market price that don't have anything to do with what's best for your team. Okay. Scarcity,
0: scarcity, you are correct. Scarcity makes a big, a big difference. But I kind of equate it to the, uh, uh, the person who buys the, you know the the drop top on their car, and lives in Seattle. And I say this because I have a Jeep, um, <laughs> hey, hey, and you can't lower the damn thing, you know, uh, for nine months of the year. And then you just start to wonder, wh- what did I spend all that money for?
1: Well, did you buy it for the drop top or did you just buy it because you wanted the ladies? It was for the ladies. Whatever else? It was for the ladies. Yes. Okay, I- and hopefully, <laughs> hopefully you were successful.
0: No, I wasn't, and that's the problem. That's why I'm so angry well, about has, this. Then you
2: bring it back. <laughs> uh, moving on, we have the Super Bowl next week. Do you care or I mean are you gonna watch? I mean I personally don't care, but I mean I guess I'll be rooting for Kansas City, but you have thoughts on the Super Bowl next week?
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm an NFL fan. I'll I'll watch, of course. I mean, I I, uh, forget when I said this, but like when it comes to sports, first and foremost, I love the history of it, right? I love the history of baseball. I love the history of football and basketball or, or whatever. And I feel like when I'm watching a big event, whether it's a team that I root for or not, I'm watching history get added to history, right? You know, whether it's David Tyree or Patrick Mahomes, or you know, we think through Super Bowl history, greatest comebacks in the history of the Super Bowl. Like, I've got them all committed to memory because I've studied them so much, and I get so much enjoyment out of appreciating that history. Like, if you if you don't have at least, if you're not at least acquainted with sports history and you work in this business, then what are you, what are you really getting out of it? Like, right. like, don't like, don't we watch the reason why, you know, we, we more likely to watch a playoff game is because historically speaking, it's going to be remembered for something. And when we have a bad game, we complain about it because we didn't get that history, right? We didn't get that close nail biting finish that you need to appreciate that not only now but before i mean because what you the knowledge that you have from before helps to deepen and enrich what you're watching now otherwise you're just watching a football game otherwise you're just watching guys who are like lining up and, and running around like that's mm-hmm. not that's, that's no way to watch sports if if i were never a sport sports fan as a kid and I were just coming into it now, I would hate it. I think, like, why does anybody watch this? But if you have a a working understanding of the history and everything that's led up to this point, I'm not saying you got to go back 100 years, but if you're a baseball fan and you don't know who, like, Turk Gibson is, you need to learn that. Yeah. If you're a baseball fan and you don't know who, like, you know... Carlton Fisk is, you need to learn that you're hopefully you're going to have heard of Mickey Mantle or uh, Willie Mays, Babe Ruth. Like you've heard those names. You need to dig a little bit deeper. Like, like, do you know who? Like, all the, you know, the broadcasters, Tony Romo and Phil Simms. Like, do you know that these guys are Aikman? They're not just voices you hear every Sunday. Like they had decorated careers of their own. And there's a reason why they should or shouldn't be taken seriously or like, you know, Troy's doing a cowboy game. Uh Oh, you know, he's going to be biased towards them. Like that adds to it. That adds, if you have that knowledge, it adds so much flavor to what you're watching rather than just guys running around on the field, which is dry and boring to me. So anybody who doesn't like invest a little bit in learning about the sport that they're watching, or for your musician, right? Like learning the lineage of rock and roll or jazz or something like you, you have to do that at least in a cursory sense. All
0: I get, said. I completely get that. And I was uh, watching, I was watching a game and uh, around, around the round, t- round table at halftime is, you know, Boomer and Phil Sims, mm-hmm. Nate Burleson. And somebody asked me, who are all these guys? And I'm, and I'm just like, I don't know if I have enough time in my life to tell you. To
1: explain that. Yeah. yeah. I mean like uh
0: former player, former player, former player, you're gonna forget everything I just said. Because I and I think that's a I think that's something different about sports today. I think because we have so much on demand content mm. if I watch a game and I do this sometimes and it's just a utter disaster, you know what? Never mind. I'm just, what else is on, you know? Um a couple months ago, uh Solak uh Matt and I we're talking about baseball teams, baseball teams of your, I can name the starting lineup of the 91 Pittsburgh pirates. I can't Hell tell you. Yeah. I can't tell you one <laughs> Pittsburgh pirate player right now. Okay, I don't can know. I,
1: can I, can I try to explain why that is? I just, yes, did please do the other day. Please do. Okay. <laughs> I think, okay. I, I've been campaigning a little bit for seven inning games, but it's not just to shorten the time of game. Okay. It has to do with the familiarity With players in 1991, when when the Pirates had their starting rotation of like Doug Drabeck and John Smiley and Zane Smith and those guys, you knew them because they were out there every fourth day. They probably pitched into the seventh or eighth, and then you brought in like uh, Ricky Horton or Bob Walk to close out the game. They only used like two or three pitchers a night. There wasn't like, but you look at the Mariners now. They're using like seven pitchers a night, some of whom are go are constantly going up and down between AAA and here. You don't know who they are. They just grabbed them off the scrap heap. Like there's so many players being used now and variations in lineups and all this stuff because of the way the game is managed, protecting guys' arms. If you made the game seven innings, all of a sudden I think you can get – Five innings out of your starter and then bring in a setup guy and a closer and you're done. And all of a sudden, the familiarity that the fan has between the players they watch every night and themselves becomes more intimate. And it becomes something that you can actually process and remember. Like you you say, you can name the whole 91 Pirates uh, lineup or, or whatever. Yeah. Because they were running the same guys out there basically every single time, and it wasn't hard to keep track of. It's impossible to keep track of now. I mean, yeah. I covered the Mariners for ten years up close. If you ask me, you know who they had in 2016, I'd be like, uh, Nelson Cruz and who else? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Yeah.
2: You know, like especially
1: the especially the pitching. I mean, yep. uh, uh, it's just it's too much that they're throwing at you. It's it has to do with everybody's throwing 99 miles an hour. They got to protect arms. He can only go a half inning. He can only face lefties. I mean, it's just, ugh. it's, too, it's. Ugh.
0: So, uh, I know we're running, running up against the clock here, but I do have a hockey question. Are you cool okay. with a hockey question? Mm. Okay. Because I assume you're a Hartford Whaler fan of your, right? Um, you
1: got it. Of
0: nice. <laughs> the Seattle Kraken just signed a, a thingy with uh, root sports, a contract. Yeah, this is screwing a lot of people like uh, Matt and I, Matt Page and I, we use YouTube. So like, I think you get root sports, but I mean, like, there's a lot of people who don't get root sports. And I think this is a travesty, not a travesty, a mistake. I'll put it not in the travesty category, but you have any thoughts on that, especially being in that business?
1: Well, let me ask you this. If you guys cut the cord, how do you watch Mariner games? MLB?
0: Yeah. And then I watch, I do have MLB network and then I just watch the condensed version, the hour, uh, the hour recap show.
1: Okay. So can't you do that with, um, with the NHL then? I, yeah, but you know,
0: there's a little bit of a difference, uh, in the last 20 years, the Mariners have been awful and and I don't, I don't care to watch every last episode or every last game. Um, the Kraken are brand new. They're, they're hip, they're happening. Um, and, You know, I just, as I talk to people, a lot of people are cutting the cords and this could be the kind of thing that just makes them say like, yeah, maybe I'm not going to watch it.
1: Well, I mean, that may end up being the case, but I guess where else would they go? I mean, in New York, you've got Yes Network, which carries the Yankees and the Nets. You've got SNY, which carries like the Mets and maybe the Islanders. And then there's the MSG Network. Like you've got three major regional networks, like just in that city up here. What do we have besides Root? Comcast? Uh,
0: well, Comcast, I, mean, I, I guess, yeah. I guess where,
1: where else were they going to go is my question, because they're, they're not going to broadcast them on, like, network TV. They had to go to one of the regional uh, sports stations, and if Root is really the only choice. I mean, there is Comcast Sports Northwest, which covers, like, Oregon and Washington. Maybe that. I don't know if they put in a bid or not, but I, I, I guess what were the alternatives?
0: Yeah, it's it's tough because uh and t is a part owner of Root, so they uh-huh. want in on that action. Comcast uh, they have an exclusive with uh, Xfinity. Actually, they have an exclusive with Root. I don't know. I you know, I'm just I, I'm just feeling you know left out. And well, maybe maybe Root the Sounders should, didn't. Oh, sorry, I was maybe, just gonna say the Sounders didn't do that when they started. You know,
1: didn't didn't do what.
0: They didn't leave people out. They got on, they got on pretty much everybody's TV, um, you know, with Kong network and.
1: Oh, they were on Kong when they, okay. That's interesting. Yeah. So they were on Um, free TV for everybody. Okay. Um, Well, what I would say to root, if they're not already planning on doing this or doing it in some form, digitize what you're doing (laughs) to make sure that the Kraken and the Mariners because the Mariners own part of that, don't they? Are they own
0: seventy percent? I believe. Yeah,
1: right. Yeah. So, which, which is interesting in and of itself, but they they need to make sure that they're on some kind of digital platform to make it so people who don't have Root, who don't, yeah, I mean, I have Comcast Xfinity in my apartment, so I can watch them, but not the Kraken, but the Mariners. I will watch the Kraken when they come around, but. uh, <laughs> They need I mean, they need to make sure that whether it's on their website or getting, you know, videos cranked out to YouTube highlights, whatever it is, they need to make sure they're do. Everybody needs to make sure they're doing that, no matter if they if they have a brand new team in town or existing teams that ha- that has to happen.
2: Can I ask you one last baseball question, Tom? Are you okay yeah, with that? of course. Um, I'm a, oh, you're, We're talking about the pitching and cutting the game shorter. What were your thoughts when Blake Snell was pulled in the sixth inning of the World Series?
1: <laughs> I was through the roof, man, because <laughs> it's the same thing that happened the other day, similar anyway, when Matt LaFleur elected to kick a field goal, okay? With the Rays, their philosophy, right? How they handle their pitching. The argument that that's what got them there, so that's what they need to keep doing, is just uh, it's just total bullshit. Okay. So, oh, I'm sorry. I Can I swear? I'm sorry. Yeah, you yeah, can. You okay. can. Okay. Um, <laughs> because – okay. The reason why that philosophy got them there is because it takes into account things like, okay, how can we – How can we get the most out of Blake Snell over the course of a year? Well, we're going to only use him, you know, we're going to keep him on a pitch count. When he gets to, you know, this amount of innings or this amount of whatever, then we're going to take him out, okay? That's how they got to that point. But in a one-game do-or-die situation where he's absolutely mowing everybody down, none of that stuff applies, You're not you're not saying to yourself, okay, we need to preserve him for another month so that we can get through a playoff race. It's you don't win this game, it's over. Okay, I mean, look, let's try it from another angle. Do you think that when uh, Kevin Cash went to the mound and he was gonna pull Snell out, do you think the hitters in the Dodger dugout were happy or upset?
0: Oh, they were happy. Yeah, they were were happy. happy.
1: They were doing no venas in that dugout because they knew (laughs) that they didn't have to face Snell the rest of the night. Now, if you're doing exactly what the other team would want you to do, just because it happens to coincide with your philosophy, you are a fool. And that's what happened. You can't just stubbornly adhere to your system because you think it applies in every single situation. It doesn't that, that, that method Worked for the long haul and it helped to get him there, but it had nothing to do with a one game situation,
0: right? But these saber nerds who live in their mom's basement <laughs> and you know just have spreadsheets upon spreadsheets, they'll tell you that was the right call. But you know, well, you go, I
1: mean, they can say that all they want, it, it wasn't. <laughs> I agree. Well, well, okay, let, let, me, let me let me let me back up. Most. Decisions in sports, even like the field goal the other day with Aaron Rodgers, right? G- going for the field goal instead of letting Rodgers put it in the end zone. Like, n- they're not right or wrong, they're all debatable to a certain extent because you can make a case either way. I just don't think the logic that this is what worked applies here because the demands of this situation are completely different than the demands of of a six month season. They're totally different. You can't just um stubbornly apply your convictions to every situation you run into. I mean, that's just, that's no way. You can't run a business that way. You can't run your life that way. You certainly can't handle a game that way it's like you know the other day it's like oh well Aaron Rodgers like who's your best player who's the MVP you got to put it in his hands no you don't look at it that way you look at it in the context of the game they were having trouble all day the Packers scoring from short yardage how many passes did Devontae Adams drop how many passes sailed over his head that Rodgers didn't make how many times did he not run it himself when he should have they were having trouble Okay, so what do you what do you maybe an alternative here is that we take the easy points. We're going to have to make a stop either way with Tampa. So we make a stop. Then we put the ball back in Roger's hands and then we win the game instead of having to make instead of having to get the ball in the end zone twice because you have have to get the two point conversion. Right. Instead of having to do that and then just come away with a tie. Why not take the easy points, make the stop, and then come away and win the game rather than screwing around with overtime? Like, you can make a firm case that way, too. People on Twitter saying, oh, LaFleur, that's a fireable offense. Give me a break. The guy's won, like, 13 games in his first two years. He's done an amazing job of getting Rodgers to buy into his system. You think because of that one decision he should be fired? Give me a break.
0: (laughs) Well, Mark Twain, Samuel Clemens, you know, also from Connecticut, by the way,
1: Yes. Said Mark, there's, well, he lived there for a while. He was from uh, Missouri. Okay. <laughs> uh, true. I've, true. Been to, I've been to his house, believe it or not. Oh,
0: nice. Uh, <laughs> three types of lies, right? You said there's three types of lies, right? Lies, damn lies, and statistics. And um, what you say, I, I definitely agree with. You can't apply things in a vacuum based off of what a spreadsheet says because each day is different. Each game is different and each situation is different. And uh, your boy, Solak, your your, your head your manager for the Boston Red Sox, was it Francona, I believe, got fired because he pulled Pedro, right?
1: No, that was little. Great yeah, was that little? Okay. little yeah. Francona
0: was after that. Okay, yeah.
1: You know yeah. what? I, I actually defended. Now, look, I'm not saying that was a great <laughs> decision. Okay, but I at the time, I defended that because that whole year in 2003, they had no bullpen. Their bullpen was murder on them.
2: It was totally yeah.
1: right. I mean, guys like Chad Fox and whoever they now at the end of the year, they brought in Scott Williamson, and only in the playoffs did guys like Timlin and Embry start coming through for them. Okay, so mm-hmm. Grady Grady Little looking at his evidence had six months of crap and then like a week of, of decent performances. So now he's got the best pitcher at the time in the American League with a, with what? I think it was five two with a three run lead Three run lead, in, yeah. in, in the eighth inning. Now he's reaching his 100 pitch like limit. What are you going to do? Do you say, OK, 70 percent of Pedro is better than what I think I may have in the bullpen. And by the way, they didn't ex- with the with the exception of Hideki Matsui, they didn't exactly hit the ball hard in that inning. I mean, Posada with a bloop Jeter hit that ball to right field that Trot Nixon didn't track properly. I mean, yep. that wasn't all Pedro's fault or Grady's for that matter. So, saying as a, in a sweeping like uh general sense that little mate just made that mistake and that's what cost them Nonsense. Embry or Timlin could have come in and given up a home run. Does that make little? Does that justify, you know, taking Pedro out? I mean, uh, you can you can make a case either way.
2: Yep. And then you you talk about you're talking about Blake Snell. I, I guarantee Lou Pinella, if he was managing the raise, he would have kept Snell in. And...
1: Of course. I mean, that yep. look. In some situations in the postseason, we've seen starters. Who have never come out of the bullpen in their life come out of the bullpen. Yep. Why? Why would they do that? Well, because the de- the the demands, the framework of this situation says we should. Because there's no tomorrow if we don't do it. That's why.
0: Well, I don't want to get into a big argument because we're towards the end of the show. But Solak, you're wrong. Lupinella would have brought in the Nasty Boys. Wouldn't have been <laughs> wouldn't have been anything to stop him from doing that.
1: You know what's funny about that? Real, just very quickly, they were—they're kind of the first bullpen, like setup guy, you know, s- seventh, six or seventh inning guy, and then closer trio of their time. I mean, before that, your reliever was like an ex-starter who yeah. didn't have it anymore, so you stick him in the bullpen. But your like accuracy, ra- yeah, right, right. Like who kind of mm-hmm. like, like he was the best case scenario for that, but like. When you got like Rob Dibble and Randy Myers and Norm Charlton, those were bona fide bullpen guys who were given roles. Now, I know Pinella wouldn't always use the same guy as a closer, whether it was Dibble or Myers or whoever. But like it's funny that Lou Piniella was the guy that kind of started that because you're right. He's the guy who is, you know, thinks with his gut as opposed to the mm-hmm. system. And really, he was the first guy who had that system.
2: Yeah, excellent point. Uh, before we end the show, Tom, would you like to plug your show and and your Twitter account and anything? In- no, and- sell
0: yourself, no. buddy. <laughs> you got to sell yourself, whore yourself out yes, on this show, please. so all our well, fans can go find you.
1: Yeah, if you <laughs> even remotely loved, liked what you heard on this show tonight from me, <laughs> uh, you can go to Twitch dot tv slash the tom wassell show that should work and you know you can you can find me on twitter i mean just search my name tom wassell that, that'll give you <laughs> what, what you need to do you know you can follow me on my on my twitch channel subscribe whatever you want i don't expect anybody just to, to pay money for this though until they've at least seen that it's worthwhile you know so come on <laughs> check it out first and then make your decision Thank there's you.
0: got to be some great conversations on 18th century poets and philosophers right
2: some
1: great conversation (laughs) oh my god i talk about that all night
2: um one last thing tom we we like to we like to give shout outs at the end of our shows do you have a shout out you want to give to anybody or
1: um just anybody who god bless you anybody who since i was let go from 710 has followed me to where i've gone you're right. Anybody who's bothered to check out my show or my music or whatever it is. I mean, look, I'm not Brock Huard. I don't have that kind of platform, but I think I do have something to offer And for, for anybody who right, even gave me a chance and decided that they didn't like it. Like, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you to all of you. I I can't say enough about it.
2: Nice. Um, my shout out. I've been doing the last few weeks a buddy of mine battling brain cancer. And today he had his second, second surgery for uh, brain surgery. So I just pray that he had a successful surgery and hang hang in there. I mean, he's a fellow Red Sox fan as well. So we're, we're thinking about you,
1: buddy. God bless you.
0: And my, my shout out is uh, to hammer and Hank Aaron. There was an era, there was an era where guys like him, Jackie Robinson, Satchel they, they, had to break boundaries, and that's one thing that sports is capable of doing is changing uh society or at least letting people know what's going on in society. And they did it with grace, humanity, and uh sacrifice, which you know a lot of people don't understand that sacrifice is necessary to,
1: to exactly. To you know, just compass. one quick thing on that. I saw the episode of Ken Burns's Baseball that centers around Jackie Robinson and just. God, when Branch Rickey sat him down and, you know, kind of spelled out what the task was there, it wasn't – we're not just adding a second baseman who we think can play. Like, you know, they're picking Jackie Robinson. They're picking you because we think you're the right man for the job, right? You're going to not, – not like appeal to white America, but you're going to handle – all of like the onslaught of criticism, you're going to take the slings and arrows in a certain way that we don't think other guys are going to do. And he lived up to that task at every single turn. And even his wife, uh, Rachel Robinson, who I think is like 99 years old or something. I mean like the way she carried herself. I mean, it's just, it's truly remarkable that we came as far as we did. And as much as Jackie Robinson, like is, you know, in our culture like I don't even think he gets enough credit for what he must have gone through.
0: Yeah, ESPN did their top 100 athletes. Um, you know, a lot, lot of great athletes I still put I put uh, Jackie Robinson number 1 because in addition to what he did on the field, he did a lot for the world and uh yeah, yeah, that's my shout out. And I want to thank everybody. I want to thank you Tom Wassell for being oh, on our show you. today. This has been really awesome. We Oh,
1: thank you. Anytime, anytime.
0: We we love your sensible no-nonsense attitude, unlike a certain Matt Page, who's usually on the show, with nothing but nonsense. (laughs) Um, I want to invite everybody out there to check out our Facebook page, our Twitter, that's at Seattle Sports as well check us out here on Podbean on Twitter. Well, I'm sorry, on Podbean on Spotify and iTunes. Thank you, everybody. Have a good night.